as Kyle mentioned, um, we are in this series looking at the eternal questions using um, this method called catechism. And today we're looking at the question of what's wrong with the world. And we're looking at this theme called sin. Now, I remember growing up uh, at a small Baptist church and I had a friend named Travis and every week Travis fell asleep during the sermon. And every week we asked Travis, hey, Travis, did you like the sermon? And he would say, yeah, like the sermon. We would say, what was it about? And he would say, sin. We'd say, what about sin? And he'd say, don't do it. And he wasn't wrong. Um, but hopefully, if we stay awake uh, during this homily, um, we will see a little bit more about sin. So let me pray for us. Holy Spirit of God, we need you. Would you please speak to us today in all the ways that we need to hear, to comfort, to challenge, to heal. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear you. To the glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, in verse 22 of our passage, the Apostle Paul says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And I want to ask you, do you hear the groaning? Now, in years past, I might say something like, if you're young and healthy and if you have enough money to be comfortable, then you can sort of hide from the fact that the world is broken. And you can start to believe that suffering is the anomaly and start to expect to live in comfort. And maybe you could even almost believe that, uh, you could even believe that the world is almost what it should be. It just needs to be tweaked a little bit. And it might be hard to hear the groaning of creation, but this is 2020, and I don't think we can miss it. I think it's clear in this year that things are not the way they're supposed to be. People are supposed to be able to go out to eat with their friends without being afraid of spreading a deadly disease. Kids are supposed to be able to go to the parks and play on the slides with their friends without fear. People are supposed to be able to worship without masks and social distancing all over the world. Young black men are supposed to be able to go for a jog in Brunswick, Georgia without fear of being murdered. Kids are supposed to go to school without fear of shootings. In 2020, we know things are not the way they're supposed to be. Do you hear the groaning? Again, in years past, some might say, well, the problem is education. We just need better schools, better teachers, more access to degrees. Or some people might say that the problem is poverty. We need greater equity among the resources of the earth. Some people would say, well, we just don't have the right tools. We just need better technology or the right laws or the right medicine to fix our problems. It's a question that all people have to answer, religious or secular. You have to ask the question, what is wrong with the world and how can it be made right? So what went wrong? We've already heard it um, today multiple times. The Bible tells us that something is indeed wrong. And the problem is so big that all creation feels it. Here in Romans, it tells us that the whole creation is groaning because it knows that everything is broken. And everything is broken because of this thing called sin. Now, I know that it sounds like an archaic, antiquated word, 
something from Sunday school class growing up, something that doesn't have much relevance to today in our world, but we've got to recover this word if we're going to take seriously the pain and evil and suffering of our world. We've got to recover the concept of sin. Verse 20 in our passage says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. See, the Apostle Paul is reminding his readers of the story they were in. God created the world good, but Adam rebelled, and sin entered the world, and its effects are not just personal, but corporate and even cosmic. The curse is found um, like sand at the beach in every inch of creation. Now, I was going to tell you that sin is a power that brings bondage and corruption like cancer into every human endeavor, like Paul says in verse 21. And I was going to tell you that sin is pervasive, as Paul says in verse 22. The whole creation has, has been groaning. And in that verse, he actually even expanded to say the whole creation, the whole creation, if you've missed it, has been groaning since the fall. And I was going to tell you that even the systems we've created are broken and the whole earth groans because of it. But Kyle made a video last week and sent it out. And it's excellent. And it's talking about exactly that. So I'm just going to tell you to go watch Kyle's video where he talks about the power and the pervasive nature of sin. The only critique I have is that um, it was the week I'm preaching on this passage. And it uh, didn't, he didn't talk about Romans 8. He talked about all the stuff that Paul was talking about before that. Um, and this is the climax. Paul is saying all of creation is groaning because of the curse of the fall. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. So watch his video. But if you don't like Kyle's words and you don't like Paul's words, let me give you the words of Bob Dylan. Um, This is the way he put it back in the 80s. Broken hands on broken plows, broken treaties, broken vows, broken pipes, broken tools, people bending broken rules, hound dog howling, bullfrog croaking, everything is broken. Can you hear the groaning in those words? Literally, dogs howling and frogs croaking. Sounds like Bob Dylan was reading Romans 8. Now, I don't know that Paul had hound dogs and bullfrogs in mind when he wrote that, but I'll never be able to read this passage without thinking of that from now on. But while we're talking about sin, what I'm going to tell you instead is that that Yes, sin is is a power and sin is pervasive, but I want to look at at, at actually how deep sin affects us. Because I think we need to have a deeper, bigger understanding of sin. So I'm going to add a point that we don't always make, um, even though Kyle referenced it in his video. Sin isn't just breaking the rules. That's the way we normally think about it. But it's bigger than that, according to Paul here in Romans. Like Kyle said, we sin because we're sinners, But creation isn't groaning just because we do the things that God forbids. It's groaning because humanity has failed to live in all the ways that God requires. See, if we back up to the Old Testament, we'll see that um, the Old Testament uses these three words to describe the concept of sin over and over again. The kids um, got one of these in your lesson this morning, so you kids could probably help me out and teach this point right now. Um, But we hear these words in the Old Testament, sin, iniquity, 
and transgression. Think of Exodus 34. Yahweh pardons sin, iniquity, and transgression. Now, to our ears, they sound like synonyms, three words for the same thing. Some translations even just call them all sin in certain places. But in Hebrew, they had overlapping and and distinct meanings, and they show us the depth of sin and the depth of the curse. Transgression is what we normally think of. It means a violation. It means a betrayal, um, trespassing God's law. But even this word goes deeper to describe not just breaking the law, but breaking a promise, breaking a covenant, breaking a boundary, violating a boundary. Now, the word iniquity is the word for crooked, and it implies um, usually that the corruption that is both underneath all of our sins and the result of sin. Have you ever experienced that? You tell a lie, and the next time it's easier to tell the lie. Sin is both because of a corruption and it also brings corruption. It makes us crooked. It makes us call crooked straight and straight crooked. When God visits the iniquity of sin, that's what he's talking about, how sin corrupts us and it has its consequences. The word sin, however, in the Old Testament means failure. And it's not exactly failure in the sense of doing what's wrong. It's also, and perhaps even primarily referred to as the failure to do what's right. And that's because God's law is primarily summed up both in the Old and the New Testament um, in, in this way. Love God and love your neighbor. That's the summary of the law. That's how all of the negative commands, the thou shalt, shalt not are summarized into the positive requirement to love God and love your neighbor. Let me give you an example. Job, if you've ever read the book of Job, he was a pretty righteous man. And he details his righteousness, um, his defense in, in the book of Job. And he talks about both the things that he avoided and the ways that he fulfilled the law. In chapter 31 of Job, he says, If I have withheld anything that the poor desired, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone, and the fatherless has not eaten of it, if I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing, or the needy without covering, if his body has not blessed me, and if he was not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, then let my shoulder blade fall from my shoulder, and let my arm be broken from its socket. For I was in terror of calamity from God, and I could not have faced his majesty. In other words, what Job is saying throughout the book of Job is, if I failed to care for the poor, the widow, and the fatherless, if I failed to love my neighbor, it would have been sin and worthy of God's judgment. Our own theological traditions and confessions in the Reformed world do a great job of showing not just what the law prohibits, but what the law requires. And if you're interested in that, just go to the Westminster Confession of Faith for every command in the Ten Commandments. It tells you not just what is prohibited, but what is required. And our catechism for today says the same thing. I love the way it puts it. sin, Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, and listen to this, not being or doing what he requires in his law, 
resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. So I'll ask you now, are you groaning yet? Because I am. We groan when we recognize the depths of our sin. Not only have I broken God's restrictions, I've also failed to love God and my neighbor in myriad ways, in thought, word, and deed. So that's why we confess not just our sins of commission, the sins that we commit, but also our sins of omission, the things that we have failed to do. We, we've done that today because sin is pervasive. Sin is, is in everything. It touches every aspect of life, and it results in the disintegration of creation because all creation is under the curse. If you're not groaning yet, verse 23 tells us, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. You have to ask, what are we groaning for? And look at what he tells us. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. What is Paul doing? He's, he's pointing us back to the story again. Now, Job was pretty righteous, but he couldn't save himself. And when God showed up, God rebuked him. See, we need a redeemer who's not part of the problem. We need a redeemer that is without sin. And that's what we have in Christ. In love, Christ came and fulfilled all the requirements of the law on our behalf. He put the curse on the cross by becoming a curse. And when he groaned, when he cried out, it is finished and breathed his last, the curse died too. Jesus loved God and loved his neighbor perfectly. And when he rose from the grave, he declared that he is more powerful than the power of sin and his redemption is more pervasive than the curse because the entire cosmos is reconciled in his life, death, and resurrection and will be for eternity. Because he came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found as we sing at Christmas. There in his life, death and resurrection, all our sin and all our iniquity and all our transgressions are forgiven and our righteousness is received by faith. And yet, and yet, we still sin. Our systems are still broken. Our bodies are still broken. Creation still groans. We still die. So what are we waiting for? What are we groaning for? Well, we're groaning for the redemption that was started on a hill outside Jerusalem to be consummated and completed when Christ returns. We're waiting for the redemption that was accomplished 2,000 years ago to be applied as far as the curse is found. And all creation groans together with us because all creation is waiting for the curse to be broken fully and finally on the day when the sons of God are revealed and our bodies are raised into imperishable bodies. That's what Paul is talking about when he says, for in this hope we were saved. Verse 24, now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. In other words, Paul is reminding 
the Roman believers, and he's reminding us today that the story is not over. We may groan today, but we will not groan forever. There's more to come, and maybe that helps us to understand why things seem to be broken. Sandra McCracken put it this way in a song called Fool's Gold. She said, but if it's not okay, in other words, if your experience of the world today is broken, then this is not the end. And this is not okay. So I know this is not. This is not the end. And we know this, right? We know that things are not okay. COVID-19 is not okay. George Floyd is not okay. Your loneliness and isolation during these times is not the way it's supposed to be. Your childhood trauma is not the way it's supposed to be. Your heart being broken is not okay. So you must know that this too is not the end. Creation still groans and we still wait with patience and hope for the end of the story. The same God who redeemed his people and was victorious over death will finish the work he started. We can take him at his word. Look at his deposit again in verse 23. We are his first fruits. Christians who call upon his name for salvation. We are the deposit. We are the promise and the guarantee that he will make all things new. So we know what we're groaning for. But what are we to do in the meantime? Well, in short, we repent. We confess our need for mercy and the myriad ways we fail to live out God's law. But we also make amends. We also become agents of reconciliation in this world. We seek to reconcile image bearers to their creator. But we also seek reconciliation in the corporate and cosmic areas of the fall as well. And in the meantime, as we do that, we heed Paul's words by, by practicing hope. And we do this by imagining the kingdom to come. Do you remember what he said at the beginning of this passage? Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, he's talking about all the suffering and sin of the curse, everything that's been broken, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So we groan for that day. Lord, give us wisdom on how to do that. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.